Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Then she's gonna say, you know, hey, uh-huh. I she stripped, stripped. I took to the pole. Girl, well, honey, please. I don't do a pole. Mm. What do you? What, so it's a gentleman's club. Oh, so it's okay. a five-star restaurant, and they don't have a pole because they don't want that stigma. And the girls wear long gowns. <gasps> long gowns. Most of the time, my clients never wanted me to take my clothes off. They just really wanted to pay you for your time. That's like escort. Yeah, but escorts have sex for money. I don't know anything about that. Okay. I've been to strip clubs where they wear gowns, and they're not ball gowns, okay? They're they're ones with like the coochie out or like pasties on. Some moneymaker is definitely showing. Cha ching, cha ching. You were stripping in that club. You did something for this old geezer to turn over and look at you and take you upstairs to the penthouse. Okay. Girl, ain't no shame in it. Actually, I was thinking about getting a pole. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. That was a clip from this week's Real Housewives of Potomac. We're going to be recapping that. And then after the Potomac recap, I have an interview with Murray Bartlett, who is starring in the new HBO show, The White Lotus, which if you're not watching, you need to catch up immediately. It is so good. It's a limited series, so it's just going to be like six episodes. And it's created by Mike White, who also did that show Enlightened, which I told you guys about a few weeks ago, which you have to watch if you haven't watched that. It's starring Laura Dern. Uh, but this new show, The White Lotus, is everything to me. Murray Bartlett is so good in it. He was also in a show called Looking on HBO that I know the gays out there know because it was a uh, one of the rare shows that had an all-gay cast, which was which was super exciting. And then he was also uh, Carrie's gay best friend in that season four episode of Sex in the City. Remember, he sort of like replaces Stanford for a day. Uh, it's like season four. He's like an Australian man, gorgeous accent, gorgeous man. And I got to say, uh, I'm going to play the interview for you guys after the Potomac recap. But, you know, I always ask all of my guests who they would choose for Sexiest Man Alive if they were choosing for People magazine. And honestly, I always get uh, great answers out of people. People say Bradley Cooper, Idris Elba, Michael B. Jordan, Chris Hemsworth. We've heard them all. We've heard them all. And every once in a while, though, sometimes a guest will be sitting there thinking, you know, and they're thinking, they're thinking, they're thinking, and I'm waiting for the answer. And I'm thinking, I wish they would say, if they don't know a name, maybe just say you, Danny, which I know is vain. I know it's gross. I get it. But, you know, every once in a while, don't you feel like you want a little validation? Like, hey, I'm not looking so ugly today. <laughs> you know, and it'd just be like a fun little playful thing. Uh, and finally, it happened. There was one time, one of my guests, I thought that they said I was good looking, but I was wrong. It turns out it was Allison Hannigan from How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, longtime listeners of Everything Iconic remember, I was talking to her and I actually asked her what's her favorite snack. And what I meant in, in terms of snack was like the slang way that people say snack like a hot, a hot guy. You know, I was like, what's, who, what's your favorite snack or who's your favorite snack? I think I said, what's your favorite snack? And she said, whatever's in front of me. And I thought she meant it 
like, cause I was sitting in front of her at the time. So I thought she was calling me like a snack in the metaphorical hot way. And it turns out she just meant like whatever food was in front of her. And I had thanked her. And it was a very awkward moment between me and Allison Hannigan from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not something that I would recommend um, for any of you to go through because it was a very uncomfortable moment. And after that, I've been re- very reticent to take any sort of compliments when I'm interviewing a guest. But this time, finally, Murray Bartlett, uh, he said my name, and I was so excited, so nervous, so happy that he said it because he's a gorgeous Australian man and nothing better than an Australian accent. I'm sorry. I love an Australian accent. Honestly, I hear that, what a bottle? You know, I hear that like, sort of little Australian accent, and I just get, it's a panty dropper, ladies, am I right? You guys know. You guys know. So I hope you stick around for that interview. Anyway, I spoiled I spoiled one of the questions, but I had to tell you and remind you all of that Allison Hannigan moment, moment that I will never forget. It'll stick with me forever. Forever. I thought she was saying that I was attractive. And turns out she was talking about like M&Ms or whatever snack was in front of her. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much, Allison Hannigan. She's like, what? It was so awkward, you guys. It was so awkward. So awkward. So awkward. But anyway, I'll play that interview for you guys later. But now we got to talk about this Real Hustles Potomac. Now, Mia, she revealed at the very end, we're going to dive right into this little conversation where Mia revealed she worked at a five-star restaurant where the women also were dancers and wore gowns and the men would pay them. But they it wasn't to like strip or it wasn't escort. It was like a companionship thing. And I have a lot of questions about this establishment. Number one, I want to know where it is, what it's called. I need to look into it because I don't believe this to be true. Five-star restaurants. Let me just point out that it's very rare for a restaurant to get a five-star, whether that be on Yelp or the Michelin stars or whatever. Isn't it Michelin, the, the restaurant stars? It's very rare for any restaurant. You could be uh, – it's super – competitive space. You go on Yelp, almost never do you see a five-star restaurant. The other day we were looking to order some Thai food and I was looking for the, I always go on Yelp to look at the reviews before I go on Postmates to order. And it's impossible to find a restaurant that's five stars on Yelp. So I'm imagining Mia's not talking about the Yelp reviews when she's talking about this restaurant. So I would imagine she's talking about Michelin star or, or one of those other, you know, what, what, what measurement was Mia using? I guess is my first question. Uh, number two, gowns? Now, gowns. Now, Ashley pointed out in her confessional, she said, obviously, there's part of your moneymaker showing. She said, you don't, and Candace said, you don't just get an old geezer to hop you in his house uh, and pay for your stuff with the gowns on. Now, I got to say, Ashley in the confessionals, I do have this theory that when women are pregnant, which it looked like in that confessional, she had already had the baby. But I do have a theory that when the women, the housewives are pregnant, they give much better confessionals. And I think it's because they don't give a fuck. You know, they're sort of slouched down. I always think of Candy when she was pregnant or Bethany in season three when she was pregnant. They're sort of just like slouched down in the chair in front of the green screen. And they don't give a fuck what they say because they're about to have a baby. And popping out a human life is the most uh, important job of them all. So when it comes to giving a confessional for the Real Housewives, they don't give a shit. So they say anything. And they're very funny, very loose. And Ashley has been doing that this season in her confessionals. The pregnant ones, I'm telling you, best confessionals ever. That's what I would, if I was a producer on these shows, I would try to get the pregnant women on the confessional seat as much as I could before they had that baby. Because that's when you get the shadiest comments. And then the other thing is that the other women can't really get mad at it. Because if Ashley's super pregnant, she's shading uh, Jizzy in the confessional, Jizzy can't get that mad because Ashley was preggers. Do you see what I'm saying? 
So, uh, God bless women who are giving us human life, but more importantly, I'd like to sit them in front of the red light to give us a confessional, because that's what we need. So I want to know about this restaurant, the ball gowns. I would like to see an example of Mia in the ball gown at the restaurant doing the non-escorting escorting. I would like all of this uh, information in front of me because I have so many questions. And I love that Karen Huger, our dear grand dame, she wants to get a pole for the room. So Ray is going to get some pole dance. And she, she said, I want Mia to teach me. I love Karen. Did you guys listen to my interview with Karen last week? If you haven't, go back and listen, because it's a good time. Um, we still don't really have any answers regarding that fight with Jizzy uh, and the Sing Sing and the hot box. You know, we don't really know exactly what any of it meant. Uh, but it's a great interview, and it's a great chat with the Grand Dame. You guys also, I got to tell you, I'm interviewing truly like my biggest guest ever, my most exciting guest ever will be on Everything Iconic very soon. I'm conducting the interview this week. I'm so nervous, so excited, but stay tuned. Uh, and yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. I'm so excited. So excited. Anyway, uh, we open uh, this week's episode with Robin getting up at 8.26 a.m. And I have some problems with this whole setup because it was obviously very clear that the producers checked in with Robin and were like, we're going to be in your bedroom in the morning filming you sleeping. Now, even if I was at my most depressed which I've suffered from clinical depression. I've had times where I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, but if a camera crew is going to be at my house, I think I would, I, I don't know, I, I think that would wake me up. I'd be so depressed that I'd be like, I have to either get to another room where there's no camera crew or they're not coming in my house. So I do have questions about this whole setup and the fact that the teacher, so the kids, she got up, she did wake the kids up. The camera people were all throughout the house just to catch her sleep in. Uh, but she must have known ahead of time. She had to approve. Somebody had to let the camera people in to film her sleeping. So she sort of like groggily gets out of bed, goes, wakes up the kids, says, get to your fucking computer and learn, you know, because we're still in COVID times over there in Potomac. And so the kids get up. And then I have a lot of questions about the teacher who was miked. So I don't know if you guys caught this. At the end of the scene, the teacher on one of the kids' computers was like, hey, you need to make sure your mom wakes up. And let me tell you something, as someone who does a, conducts a lot of Zoom interviews, it's hard to get the mic and the audio off the Zoom. There's no way it would be that good. I can't imagine production was like, hey, we're going to record your teacher via Zoom. And the audio was too good to just pick it up from the computer speaker. So there was some way, either they did some what they call ADR, which is like they, after the fact, inscripted TV shows and movies Sometimes they have actors come in a recording studio and re-record the lines so they get the audio. And I believe that they had the teacher either do ADR, which I can't imagine they would pay a teacher to come in and like record one line, or I think they bamboozled us and one of the producers was actually playing the teacher. Do you know what I'm saying? And they added it later. That's what I think happened. Now, maybe it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, maybe I'm totally off base, but I believe it to be true. <laughs> Mystery. The mystery of the teacher's hot mic. Somebody needs to look into that. Somebody needs to ask these important questions because there's no way they would have picked up that audio of the teacher saying, make sure your mom's awake. Also, though, Juan came in and was like the one who's like waking up Robin. And I didn't you all want to be like, Juan, like you wake up the kids, like your wife's depressed. We love Juan. But at a certain point, Juan, you need to wake up the kids. Don't wake up Robin. She's clinically depressed in there. Let her sleep. 
I mean, yes, you want her to get better. I, maybe encourage her to go talk to a professional or, or do some telemedicine in the way that Sonia Tremont Morgan's doing over in New York. But uh, I just wish Juan would have woke up the kids. So then we cut to Karen and Ray, who are doing a Ladam wig watch live stream. Did I get that correctly? A Ladam wig watch live. Was it wig watch? Wig, that's a mouthful. Wig watch live stream. I love these two. Also, Karen's confessional with the curly hair and the off-the-shoulder black dress with the gold necklace. Stunning. I think that's her best confessional look, in my opinion. Uh, but Ray, sort of doing the live stream, I could have watched for just hours and hours and hours. I love just him in front of this, trying to set up that ring light, uh, and then him sort of interacting with the people who are on the live stream. I don't know exactly who these people were or how it worked, but I would like more live stream work out of Ray. Uh, then we cut to Jizzy at the coffee place with the hot barista, and Ashley meets her. Ashley's very relaxed, very pregnant. The barista serves them a lemon loaf. <sighs> you guys, we got to talk about this lemon loaf for about at least 12 minutes, because that lemon loaf, the barista served it straight up. Did anyone catch this? It was straight up. And he was obviously trying to make it fancy. I believe this to be the like barista owner. I don't think he was just a coffee man. I think he was actually the owner of this establishment. And Jizzy came in and was like, oh, I'll have a piece of the lo- loaf. You know, give me that lemon loaf or pumpkin loaf, whatever the fuck that loaf was. Lemon papa seed. I'm not sure. I love a loaf cake too, by the way. But I don't know exactly which one that was. Uh, also, I just have to shout out, if you're making a loaf, you need to put some icing on it. Whether you're doing lemon papa seed, pumpkin... I know sometimes people think they don't need to put an icing on it. You need to at least make a little icing with some powdered sugar and some milk. You know, you can make a real quick icing that way. Uh, or just get something Betty Crocker from the jar. You got to do something with the loaf. Because oftentimes these packages, when you get them at the grocery store, they don't have a, they don't have an icing attached. They don't have an icing in the recipe. And they need an icing. I don't know if you guys saw on my Instagram account, I had just done a taste test of the pancake cake that they had on the Real Houses Beverly Hills. And it was allegedly a Lady M cake. It's like a bakery here. And Lady M, God bless them. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not trash talking them, but I got a couple samples. I got a couple slices and they were very expensive slices, by the way. And it's not called a pancake cake. It's called like a crepe cake. But we believe it to be the one that Sutton served or ordered or had on the Real Houses of Beverly Hills. So I went and got it. And it needed some icing, you guys. There was no sugar. And I imagine people like that. You know, people who don't have a sweet tooth like that. It's not very sweet. But I'm sitting there thinking, like, we need an icing here. We need something sweet, some sugar in it. Because it didn't taste like – and even on my pancake, I need some syrup. I need some powdered sugar, maybe a mix of bolts, some fresh fruit, something. And so I'm just, it's just a reminder if you're out there making any sort of baked good or a loaf, a dessert loaf, you know, I'm not talking about regular bread, but if you're making a dessert loaf, you need some icing. Anyway, where were we? Oh, so Jizzy orders, orders this lemon loaf and the man serves it upright. And I have never in my life, never in my life seen a slice of loaf cake, a lemon loaf, papa seed, whatever. I've never seen it served upright. And then when he brought it to the table, Ashley was like, oh, maybe I'll have some. Or, or Giselle was like, why don't you have some? So then he had to bring out another slice. And he also put it upright. And it's not very convenient to eat it that way. And also, it looks like shit. I don't think it looks good upright like that. But I feel like that man, the barista man, was freaking out like, oh, I need the food to look good. Like, how do I make this loaf look good? And I wonder, maybe he tried some gar- garnishes or something around it, some fresh fruit. 
and then settled on just putting it upright. But it was a very weird choice. And I know uh, it must have been a struggle for me. He knew it was going to be on camera. So we wanted it to look good. But it was very shocking to me. Anyway, they talk about Michael. Michael, uh, Ashley says she's going to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though he's cheated on her a hundred fucking times and grabbed everyone's ass. And <laughs> I mean, it's a real hot mess. Real hot mess. But she's having the kid, and she says, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though never once has he uh, given us any indication that we should give him the benefit of the doubt because he's fucked up so many times on this show. We've seen it. We've seen text messages. We've seen him grab an ass. We've seen him do all sorts of stuff. So in no world should he get the benefit of the doubt, but she's given it to him anyway, inexplicably. Inexplic- and Giselle, Giselle's just looking. She's like, okay. like at, I mean, every one of these women, what are they supposed to say? It's been like six seasons now, just Michael grabbing ass and cheating. And so, you know, they don't even care anymore. Giselle's like, okay, like do what you got to do. And it's just like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's like truly crazy. It's truly crazy, and I sort of believe that Michael and Ashley have some sort of arrangement or agreement. I just feel like they have some secrets, right? Like, I think Ashley's got a secret that she's having the kids, and maybe she's going to get out then after that, or maybe this is an agreement they have. All I feel is like they got some secrets. (laughs) They got some secrets, like Madonna. My baby's got a secret. Ashley's got some secrets. And maybe the other women know, too. Maybe that's why Jizzy's just, like, accepting it now. Because she's like, well, Ashley, they they know the secrets. You know? Giselle's like, my baby's got a secret. My baby's got a secret. <laughs> then we cut to Robin's mom's warehouse with the hats. <laughs> Which is a sentence I never thought I... Oh, real quick. Actually, back to that coffee shop. We do have to talk about Ashley brought up Mia's, uh, excuse my language, clitoris. And then actually, oh, this is very important. I'm glad we didn't skip this over. So Ashley in that coffee shop scene with the upright loaf did an impression of Mia's, excuse my language, clitoris. She did an impression of it in the wind. Did you guys catch this? Real, go back if you haven't watched it. Ashley, very, uh, you know, very, I don't know how else to say it, did an impression of Mia's clitoris in the wind. I don't know how else to say it, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but she did an impression of it. And I'm not sure that Ashley's like really an impressionist. You know, I'm not sure. I mean, she's funny in the confessionals. She's funny as she's pregnant in the confessionals, but I'm not sure she should be doing like a character reel for SNL, uh, including uh, her impression of Mia's, I'm sorry, clitoris. And another thing is too, you guys, I'm talking about the, the clitoris. And I have to say that on the Real House of the Potomac, they really do a lot of vagina work. Uh, they do a lot of like, there's like a lot of like coochie vagina work. Have every single episode, we've been in three episodes. Not one has gone by without talking about, you know, the downstairs, about uh, these women's Diane Lockhart's, about their Meredith Grays. You know, they're always talking about the vagina and doing some jokes and humor about it. And that's not happening on the other franchises. You know, they're all known for something different. Like on Roni, they shit on the floor. And here on Potomac, you know, there's always some sort of what they call blue humor, which is the gross out kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit obscure, dirty humor. And on this franchise in particular, we're getting something like Ashley doing an impression of Mia's clitoris in the wind. And Ashley also said, Mia said that Jizz is just a a pretty face. Um, so Giselle's going to get to the bottom of it. She's going to have that pamper Ashley party later in the episode. But uh, then we get to the Robin's mom's warehouse with the hats. And Ascala is there. She's a new cast member. 
Uh, she looked beautiful, by the way. I'm excited to meet more of her because she had the heels on. Wendy arrived in heels, too, and they were talking about uh, their heels. And uh, look, they're all being a little mean about Wendy's candle line. And I think we should also just talk about this candle line. Now, Wendy's a professor. She's a political commentator. And now she's moving into candle connoisseur. And I'm willing to go along on that journey. You guys, I don't see anything wrong with it. If somebody wants to start a candle line, let's go. You know, Tiffany Moon over from Dallas, she sent me some of her candles, and they're great. They're really high-quality candles. I'm not even just saying that. You know, I don't need to just say that to be nice. They're actually good ones. And so I'm excited about Wendy's candle line. I I love a candle, so I will accept it with open arms. But is it a bizarre shift? Sure. Am I going to judge it? I don't know. Who am I to judge? You know, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. <laughs> different as night and day. <laughs> this is Wendy's story. She's a candle maker now. And so we must just accept that and go on the journey with her. So, you know, I think if she's going to do something, what else is she going to do? You know, maybe she's tired of the professorship and the political commentating. You know, it's exhausting. Last year was exhausting. She probably was like, get me the fuck out of here. I'm tired of it all. I think we were all at that point. I couldn't imagine having to go on TV and talk politics in 2020 uh, as a commentator or even having to go teach people. You know, we all just want to make candles in 2020. We were all sitting here. I mean, we talked about bread loaves. I bought a bread maker from Williams-Sonoma. I only made one loaf, but I did buy one in 2020 because that's what we were all doing. So the fact that Wendy wants to make some candles and sell them, I say, God bless. Oh, oh, did you guys see the shade that Mia, though? This is why I love Mia. You guys, I'm very excited about Mia because Mia released a candle herself and she put it online. I forget. She put some funny saying. It was like shady towards Wendy. I don't remember what it was. Unclear. But she did release some candles, you guys. Mia did. Isn't that shady? Before Wendy's releasing the candles. Ah, I love it. Mia's a good addition. She feels like a great housewife. I'm really into her. So even though I love Wendy and our, our candle maker, Wendy, I'm still very excited about this new woman, Mia. So then we cut to Candace with the bonus kids, which I don't love Candace calling them the bonus kids. You know, I'm kind of, I don't love it. I don't love it. And also Candace sort of feels like she's on a different show to me at this point. It's like she's always doing filming the show and the music. By the way, the music, the song she came out with is not bad. I listened to it. I can't remember one of the lyrics, but I did listen to it and think this isn't terrible. It's actually pretty good. So I'm happy for Candace. Oh, in the video, she released a music video for it, and all the women are in it. Like, they got Karen, Giselle, Mia's in it. I think all of them are there. I saw Robin. They woke up Robin to go on the music video. So I'm very happy for Candace. this uh, music. It sounds like a good song. Again, don't remember one word. I I do remember that song from last season. Who needs a heart? (laughs) I love that song. Okay, so then what uh, what happens next? Uh, we see uh, uh, Mia at home. She grabs wine from the wall, uh, and then she pretends to work. I sometimes feel like these women, they often pretend to be working on camera, and I don't really actually think that she was. it was a normal day at the office for Mia, if you know what I'm saying. I think it was just like, let's pretend to do something, like I'm going to stage this shot, which is okay. It's what they got to do. You know, These women are working hard for their money. Potomac, more than any other franchise, is working for that money. And I, uh, I really feel it. I feel it this season, especially compared to some of the other franchises where we got a lot of dead weight. It feels like Potomac, they're all have a lot of energy on camera. Even Robin without energy feels to me like she's working harder than, you know, some of the women over in New York, let's say. 
so let's see. Then we cut to Wendy and Karen. I let my dream team, they're doing business. Wendy went to Karen for some business advice, which I love. She says, I want to be the Black Martha Stewart. And Karen says, okay, multi-billion dollar industry, sure. And Karen, we know, loves to be the mentor. That's why she didn't get along with Wendy in the first place, because Wendy didn't come to her for advice. So now I really am happy that Wendy is coming to her for advice. Karen gives great advice. She says, whatever your budget is, double it for the candles. And Wendy shows her the candle, and she was so nervous. But I think that packaging looked great. I thought the candle looked great. I don't know what she's going to be charging. You know, the Tiffany Moon candles I mentioned, they are really great candles, but they are a little pricey. They are, and they're called, like, everyone has, like, a prescription name on it. So it says, like, ketamine or Xanax. And then it's supposed to smell like, I don't know, other things. But um, I I believe they're, like, a little pricey. But they are really good candles, so I don't want to knock it. But I don't know the exact price range, but I'm curious what Wendy's going to charge for her candles. You know, because she's, she's jumping on in. And, uh, you know, Karen says, Wendy, it's very classy. She says, it's very classy. And as she's smelling the candle, I'm thinking, I want Karen to be a candle blogger. I need her to just, I would watch YouTubes of just Karen smelling the candles. And it's revealed that uh, I think there's a $20,000 budget for the candle company, but then she's going to double it to forty. And this is a little bit troubling to me because, you know, yes, I know you got to spend money to make money. I get that. Uh, but I'm a little concerned about throwing $40,000 into a candle company during a pandemic. Call me crazy. You know, I'm not an expert, but, you know, something I would maybe want to talk to a Susie Orman type about to get some financial advice on this. I don't know. Then we uh, we have a scene with Mia. She talks about her mom who uh, she put her in foster care. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch play out. I hope, you know, the missing parent thing doesn't always work on these shows. So... I sometimes feel like they introduce it and then we never get any answers. Like Melissa Gorga when she's looking for the fake sister. It's like we never really get anywhere with it. And then it just ends and then the next season no one addresses it. And it's like the the sibling's still lost. And so I hope at least with the Mia thing that they uh, that they do find someone who I don't even care if it's an actor that they hire from central casting to come in and pretend they're Mia's mother. As long as we get some closure because I don't like when these storylines just go out of... Uh, end. They just end. Let's take a quick break here and come back with more from The Real Housewives of Potomac. I want to remind everyone, if you want to get all episodes of the podcast, go to acast.com slash everything iconic. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like, I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. 
So then we have a scene between Candace and Karen. I love this scene. Now, Candace is still mad about the Monique situation, which we need her to get over it. I'm sorry. Somebody's got to say it. We need Candace to move on. I get it. She was uh, attacked. But we it, Monique's not on the show anymore. So I can't be dealing with this anymore because we've already forgotten about that whole situation. We've, it's a new season. We're talking about Mia may or may not be on the poll. That's what's going on now. So I can't have you being still mad at Karen about taking Monique's side because we're past it. I get that you're not emotionally past it, but deal with it off camera. Okay. But I did love this scene because Karen, Karen's never going to give. You know, something's got to give and it's not Karen, right? It's, she says, I sense you're at peace. That's how she greeted her, <laughs> which is, by the way, the same thing she said to Wendy in the scene earlier with the candles. And that's just how she makes up with people. You know, Karen's not going to say, I'm sorry. But what she is going to say is, I sense you're at peace. And it like almost sort of bamboozles the person into thinking like it's an apology, if that makes sense. Um, but Karen says she doesn't regret her choices. And Candace says, I don't trust you. And Karen just says, I respect that. And that's how they end it. <laughs> no apology, nothing. That's how they end it. And uh, Candace needs to let it go. I'm sorry. Then we cut to uh, Jizzy's Ashley party. And Candace is... One thing about Candace is she's going to hate Ashley. She hates Ashley with every ounce in her being. So she says in her professional or, or in the scene, she says something like, I'm ready for Ashley to have the baby. And what she means is, I'm ready for Ashley to have the baby so we can be frenemies again. Because they know that that's good for the show. And Ashley is not concerned about it because she's having the baby. But Candace needs the storyline because all of Candace's stuff right now is with other, is off on her own doing the music and the show. And the only thing she really has going on with the group is this Karen thing about Monique, who's not even in the program anymore. You know, Monique and the bird flew the coop. So Candace has got to get something going here. And so she's ready for Ashley to pop. And I believe as soon as Ashley does pop, Candy is going to be right in there, uh, right in there ready to fight. Um, or she might be uh, ready to fight with Mia, it looks like in the previews. Look, it looks like in the previews. Um, they do talk about oh, Mia getting the, I'm sorry, the vagina done. And they talk about what happened when they had babies. Robin had a first degree tear in her cooch, she says. Um, that's a direct quote, I'm sorry. And then, um, so they, they go over that. Karen arrives at this Ashley party, even though she's not getting along with Giselle. She says in her confessional, I have no plans to ever interact with Giselle. <laughs> and no other housewife could get away with that. Nobody else but Karen Huger can get away with just not speaking to one of the cast members. And I love that about the show and her. Uh, they play some game where they show the women pregnant. Uh, Candace hasn't had a baby, though, so they show her, like, uh, there's a photo of her at a microphone, and she says she was pregnant with possibilities. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. So then um, Wendy and Mia get into it. Wendy says, don't ever try me again. And I don't even really understand exactly what this fight's about. You know, there is something. Wendy was like sort of, sort of sticking up for Giselle. And she thinks that Mia's being a little two-faced. But I think it's not even about the Giselle of it all. Because Giselle doesn't seem to really give a shit. Giselle could care less about the Mia thing. And Wendy's really sticking up for it. And so I don't really know, but she does say she has the time. She keeps saying she's Zen when, but what she does have is time. She keeps saying tick-tock, 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 tick-motherfucking-tock. She says, I have the time. And she even dismissed her at a certain point in the argument. She says, you're dismissed. And I don't know. I sort of think it's like a new girl situation where it's like Wendy's picking up a fight with Mia because it's an easy kind of target. And I'm okay with that. 
quite honestly. In real life, I wouldn't be, but for my TV entertainment, it's kind of fun. So that's how I feel about that. Um, Mia does say to Wendy, you're not happy at home. And Wendy says, no, sweetie, direct quote, no, sweetie, you're not happy at home. That's why you had to get your clit fixed. Everyone has a story (laughs) different as night and day. (laughs) I added Kathy Lincoln to the sound machine. Sorry. You guys are hearing it again. I hadn't played it in a while, and sometimes people reach out. They're like, where's Kathy Lee Gifford? And I don't want to overdo it with any of them. But, you know, I added her back to the soundboard, so it is what it is. You know, buckle up, little bear, because you're going to hear it a lot. <laughs> oh, well. Um, anyway, so she says, yeah, you you had to get your clit fixed. And then uh, Wendy is mad that Giselle and Robin aren't showing any loyalty to her. And uh, Karen, at one point, I don't know why exactly, but I wrote this in my notes. Karen called uh, Giselle Satan. I had that in my notes. I feel like it's important to point out. Uh, so then we cut to them all together in the room. They all sort of had their treatments. They did a, a foot massage. They did massages. They're really having to figure out events for the Potomac women, and I like that. We're getting a lot of group events every episode which is perfect. Even in the uh, pandemic, they're finding, whether it's like a love afternoon party or this Pamper Ashley party, I like that they're finding ways to get them all together. Um, Ascala brings up that Robin uh, called uh, Karen a drinker. Is that right? Oh, Karen says she drinks, and apparently she calls people when she's alone. She drunk dials people. And honestly, I would love to get a drunk dial from Karen Huger at some point. That sounds good to me. And they all sort of judge it. And Karen's like, yeah, I like to get drunk and call people. Like, Karen didn't have any problem with that. That's her story. She's sticking to it. I think they wanted Karen to have a problem with it. Um, But Karen will pick and choose, right? Like, we know with that situation where she said Giselle wished death upon Ray, which wasn't really a thing. Like, that's a real big reach. Uh, But I'm okay with that. But I feel like this situation where they're calling Karen someone who drinks and drunk dials people, Karen doesn't have a problem with it now. But in two seasons, she might. So that's just something we have to be aware of with Karen. So mark my words, in a couple seasons, Karen's going to say, you know, they said, I drink alone and I'm not happy about it. But as it was in present day, Karen didn't give a shit. But watch, she's going to give a shit. She's going to give a shit. So then that's when they talk about Mia on the poll. And... uh Karen wants to get a poll. Giselle leaves early. Karen does say in her confessional, Giselle left. Giselle's not a host. She's not a dresser, and she's not a good wig wearer. So that's Karen always throwing shade to Giselle. I almost felt a little bad. You know, I'm always usually team Karen on this. But this episode, I did feel like Karen went hard on Giselle. You know, a part of me was like, maybe we need to back off a little on Jizzy. You know? I have layers. Sometimes I could be on Giselle's side, you guys. And Giselle fans, they don't get, they don't like me so much. You know, they think I'm too hard on Giselle. Uh, but honestly, this week episode, I love Giselle. And again, I have to say that we need Giselle on the show. I never want her to go. She should, in fact, get a raise. As much as I don't care for Giselle, I want Bravo to give her a raise. She deserves to be making more than anyone on this fucking network. Her and Karen. Sure, she's keeping the lights on over at Bravo. Oh my God, you guys, speaking of, did anyone read that news story? It was on Radar Online. So good because it said like Roni is so bad this season that NBC is worried that it's going to ruin the network. They didn't just say like Roni this season is so bad they're going to ruin the Housewives franchise or New York as a city uh, for the franchise. They said that the season of Roni is so bad that it's going to ruin 
NBC Universal. <laughs> I laugh so hard, you guys. And honestly, Roni is bad this season, but now he said it. Um, but I don't think it's going to take down NBC. You know, and I, and I feel like and Roni will come back. They'll have a comeback season next year. I feel it in my bones. Um, and Roni on a bad season is still better than most of the shows on the network. I watched all of Camp Getaway. So I know. I know. So anyway, the episode ends on Potomac where they all pray, led by Escala. Loved it. I like that the Potomac women, they could end on a prayer. You know, they could call each other devils and bad dressers and uh, talk about their uh, coochies being wide open. And yet they're going to end on a prayer. And that's what I want on a TV show. That's what I want. Next uh, week, we get Giselle doing the daughter driver driving test. We get Mia, uh, Robin, and Karen. Lots of fights. Ashley, her water breaks. And and uh, that demon she's married to takes her to the hospital. <laughs> that demon Michael drives her to the hospital. Wasn't that scary footage? You guys ever watch those found footage horror movies where it's like all the footage is in that like green nighttime light? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that weird filter where it's like the nighttime filter. And I felt like that's what we saw in the coming attractions of Michael. And he's just like a, he's to me a horror movie villain. He's a demon. He's a demon. And we just need to recognize that. So anyway, you guys, uh, that's this week of Potomac. I want to leave you guys with my chat with Murray Bartlett from HBO's The White Lotus, which if you're not watching, there's been three episodes. Go catch up. By the way, if you haven't watched and you're interested, I do have to just say it's a weird tonally uh, show. It's sort of a thriller, sort of a mystery, sort of a comedy, sort of a drama. There's a lot going on, and it's got so many layers. I just am obsessed with it, though. And I was lucky enough to see all six episodes, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. And Murray is brilliant in it. I really believe that he's going to get the Emmy nomination when it comes uh, next year or whatever. He's so good in everything he does, and he's really impressive, too, just as a queer actor. He's an openly gay man, and uh, he's done so many different gay roles, including Sex in the City and Looking and Tales of the City, which is a, a great show on Netflix. And so uh, he's wonderful, and I hope you guys enjoy my chat with Murray Bartlett from HBO's The White Lotus. Stay tuned later this week. Uh, we'll have recaps of Real Houses of Beverly Hills and New York. And I have one of my favorite interviews ever coming up very, very soon that uh, I I can't wait to play for you guys. So I love you all so much. I will leave you with this chat with Murray Bartlett. Please find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to support this show, go to uh, patreon.com slash everything iconic where I'm doing sex in the city recaps from the beginning. So I do one recap a month. It's basically a bonus episode of everything iconic that you can get. If you pledge $4 or more per month over there. Also, we have Everything Iconic merch available at everythingiconic.store. I love you all. Please enjoy my chat with Murray Bartlett. Bye-bye. Murray, first of all, how are you doing today? I'm great. Yeah. I'm up on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. It's so beautiful here. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, having a lovely morning. Mary, I'm like obsessed with White Lotus. Like I got to see all the episodes and I, I'm not even kidding. It's like stuck with me in a weird way. And I've always loved Mike White's work. Who He's the one who wrote and directed this, but you're phenomenal in it. Everyone's so good in it. How do you, how are you describing it to people? Because it is sort of a weird, it's hard to explain. So how are you describing it? 
I mean, I would say, you know, it's, it's always hard to fully define and try and cap- encapsulate Mike White's work. And I feel like it's, you know, almost unfair to try and do it, but I'm going to. Um, I would say, you know, it's a social satire. Um, it's about, you know, a group of, of um, privileged, wealthy guests who come to, a, you know, a high-end resort in a tropical location. And the effect that this group has on the... the the, uh, the staff and the sort of the whole world around them in this resort sort of um, uh, setting. And, you know, it, it takes a look at some of the uglier aspects of human behaviour, but it's like most Mike White shows, it's, it's very funny, but it's dark. And, you know, it's you're, you're one minute laughing and the next minute um, you feel like you've been stabbed in the stomach uh, in a great way, I think. I mean, I think it, it's brilliantly written and it's a fantastic cast. Everyone like totally on just doing beautiful work. So, I, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very entertaining ride, but it's also, it also packs a real punch. Did you watch Enlightened or some of uh, Mike's other work? I'm a huge fan of Mike. I'm an even bigger fan of Enlightened. Um, it's I the best, right? Right? It's, yeah. I My boyfriend thinking, and I are rewatching it right now. So I've seen it already before, but we're rewatching it. And it's just like, it's brilliant. It's so great. And, you know, in some, I mean, they're very different shows, but in some similar ways in terms of the sort of sensibility of it, I guess, and the type of humor and the kind of type of darkness that, that's in the two shows. It, and he's just also like the sort of the ultimate observer of, of human behavior and human nature in a way that he can reflect it back in a way that's incredibly confronting and funny and unsettling all at the same time. And you play sort of the manager of chaos, but then your character goes through quite a bit of chaos himself. Did you know where the character was going when you were hired or was that sort of a surprise as you got the scripts? Yeah, I did not. (laughs) I signed up to the job fully, you know, prepared for whatever might come afterwards because I'm like, uh, you know, I really wanted to work with my quiet. But I, yeah, had only read the first script, um, loved the character, loved it. I mean, the writing was brilliant. And Mike wrote this in two months or two and a half months and then we started shooting, which is just phenomenal to me because it's such brilliant writing. So all that, all that came after was a, a huge surprise to me, but it's, I was so excited by playing a character that goes on such a sort of a roller coaster ride, you know? I was wondering if there was anything throughout that, uh, without giving any spoilers, that you read and you were not sure how it worked. No, I, you know, I, I love Mike's style. I love the way he sees the world or reflects back the world to us. And so I just, I just wanted to dive into it. I didn't feel hesitant. I felt like, you know, unsure about how some of the things were going to play out. There were some specifics that I wasn't sure of, <laughs> but I, and then, you know, when we got to set, Mike creates this incredible atmosphere of play where you can just feel free and, you know, like, and I completely trusted him. So, you know, we played and, and we figured it out and we played with different kind of levels and different sort of choices. And um, so it was very, it was, it, it was, it was just play. It was very playful in that way. Like there was that it, it, it felt very free. Can you talk to me a little bit about Hawaii? I've been fortunate enough to stay at that Four Seasons, and it's one of those beautiful places in the world where you guys filmed in Maui. Uh, what was it like shooting there? 
Well, we were plucked out of our COVID pods in the middle of the pandemic and taken to Hawaii. So we were to work on a, you know, an, an amazing show with an amazing group of people. So we were all sort of in shock and it was very surreal and we all felt incredibly fortunate, which was a great place to start because it was, you know, it just made the thing so joyful. Everyone was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're here. This is just, it was just such an awesome feeling. And, yeah, we were, I mean, we were, you know, locked in our COVID pod. We couldn't leave the grounds of the resort and we could go down to the beach in front, which was spectacular. So it was bizarre in one way because we were in this, like, you know, incredibly gorgeous prison, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, so it was, it was beautiful. It also created this amazing sort of bond between all of us. We, for, we had the run of the hotel, the cast and the crew for the first chunk of shooting. Um, so it was just us there. It just, it felt like, you know, a bunch of kids let loose in like some sort of, you know, magical theme park. It was amazing. It was, it was a lot of work. The schedule was really intense, but it was fun work with a fun, lovely group of people. I mean, it could have been a nightmare if everyone was awful, but they weren't. <laughs> Turned out everyone was lovely and we were all in a really sort of great mood. So. By the end of it, were you like, get me out of here? I mean... There was probably, right? I, I mean, it's like any place that yeah. you're stuck in for like, you know, three months. And we were in, you know, I love to cook. And so we didn't, I didn't have a, cook, a kitchen. I mean, I, you know, we we're in like a five-star resort. I, I'm not complaining no. in any way. It was amazing. But there were, you know, there were things eventually I was like, you know, I was, I was happy to, to get out of that particular setting and be able to, you know, roam freely. But no, I mean, honestly, I've said this before to someone else today, but I did wake up every morning, look out the window at the palm trees and feel how lucky I was. So I, I, there really wasn't any moment of not being, not feeling incredibly lucky there. I have read that Mike White is interested in possibly doing like a second season where maybe it's a, a different place or a different island or something. Would you be involved in a second season? Would you be interested in being involved in a second season somehow? If there's any way that I could be involved in a second season, I will like you know, activate. <laughs> that but uh yeah i don't know i mean i think it's it's from the, the, the mind of mike white so anything is possible um i yeah I'd, I'd be fascinated to see what a second uh season of this show would look like but yeah i have no idea but if if there was a chance for me to be in it i would jump on board i need it it's stuck with me so much more than i think so many things that i've watched i i loved watching it and then yeah it just sort of haunted me afterwards i thought it was was beautiful and and brilliant. And and one of the most impressive things too, actually, uh, not just with the series, but with your career as a, as a gay man myself, it's been so wonderful to watch a variety of characters you've played throughout the years. When you started acting, did you ever sort of imagine you'd be able to play so many different, such a variety of queer characters? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. That's lovely of you to say. I, I mean, it's such a, it's such an odd sort of, evolution as an actor because you know i mean unless you're like mega famous you don't necessarily know or have a lot of control in terms of where your career goes you do in terms of the choices that you make but you sort of see what opportunities come your way and i've been super fortunate to have great opportunities come my way and i i didn't really know how it was going to unfold i guess you know like 
a lot of young actors, I wanted to like say something worth saying in my work and like, and really be work with people who I, who I enjoy working with and admire. And I've got the chance to do that. Um, and the fact then that I have been able to play queer characters that, you know, sort of, that I relate to and that, that I, I, you know, I, I feel strongly about having representation of, of all underrepresented, <laughs> unrepresented or, or not very well represented peoples on, on, on screen. To be able to do that has been so exciting for me. And, yeah, to have a variety is just so cool. And this, this character is so different from the other characters that I've played in recent years. So it was... Murray, um, you're so good in it. You're going to get the, I mean, I believe you'll get an Emmy nomination. You should, you deserve all the awards in the world. Cause you were just, uh, you and Jennifer Coolidge in this, everyone was so brilliant, but the two of you, I was watching you guys just do incredible, incredible work. And Natasha Rothwell too. She was, everyone was great. Murray, before I let you go, I got to ask about a couple other things you did. Will there ever be another looking? I want more looking. Will there ever be another movies? Something. I don't know. We, uh, we, you know, all of us on that show just absolutely loved it. And we would all jump back in. I'm sure at a moment's notice, if that was a thing, we, you know, we all wanted it to keep going for, you know, 20 years. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, who knows? Why don't you suggest it to, you know, the higher ups, Danny, see what happens. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> With looking, it was such a, it because, there are so few uh, series uh, based around gay characters or such a largely gay cast. I almost feel like the gay community wants it to represent everything. And so oftentimes there are complaints when there are different gay shows, if it doesn't represent this person or that person. And, and I find that tough and I just want like more gay shows so that we can all just sit back and enjoy them. If that makes any sense. I think you're right. You know, I think that's the problem with being underrepresented is that then when you are represented, everyone wants to feel fully represented <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's almost impossible and, and, and kind of like a, a, a crazy task to try and do that in one show because you have to cover such a, a breadth of, of, of stuff. But yeah, I think the more we do it, the the more it sort of opens the way for other shows to have, you know, queer characters or shows that are based around queer characters that kind of break down those walls. And so there are more opportunities to show all different facets of, of um, the queer community. Uh, Sex in the City, what do you remember from that episode? You did an iconic episode where you're uh, uh, Carrie's sort of new gay friend and Stanford gets a little jealous. What do you remember from that whole experience? Um, I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> you know, suddenly I'd been in New York for not that long and it was my first job in the US and suddenly, I, you know, very suddenly, it happened very quickly, I was on set with these like famous people on a show that I knew and loved very well. And yeah, but it was thrilling, you know, and they were very kind to me. But it was, it was a very, it was like, it was like a strange dream, like the, a show that you watch and love, um, suddenly you're stepping into it it's it was you know it was it was it was very bizarre but but you know a great sort of beginning to my kind of work life in in the u.s i'm super thankful for it in preparation for this i rewatched that episode and uh i remember in the 90s everyone had that facial hair that you had it was like that little sort of goatee thing those yeah those things that like in hindsight seem so embarrassing but at the time <laughs> felt so cool 
Uh, Murray, I know I got to let you go, but there's two things I ask all of my guests, uh, some silly questions. First of all, uh, your favorite Mariah Carey song. And then also, if you were choosing for People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, who would you choose? My favorite Mariah Carey song? I just, I'm like, I'm so terrible. I'm not even sure if I can think of like, I'm just, I'm so terrible. How dare you? Like that. I feel like I love Mariah Carey on the Home Shopping Network. I feel like she's so awesome. Hey, I'll take I, that. Right? I mean, she's just, she's she's so iconic. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. That counts for I, me, Murray. That counts. The, the other question was what? The, the if sex- you were choosing for People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, who would you choose? Oh, my God. I'm just going to have to say you, Danny. <laughs> I will take that with me the rest of my life. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y, dot com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you so much. I want to encourage everyone to watch White Lotus. Murray, you were brilliant in it. It was so, so good. And I can't thank you enough for all of the work you've done as as a gay person myself. I'm just uh, so impressed and enamored by the as I said, the breadth of your, your roles. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Danny. I appreciate it. 